Hi, and welcome to the Rocky River United Methodist Podcast, and I'm here with Paul again. Paul, you want to say hi? Hi. There you go. That's Paul. Um, we're happy that Paul is... You're recovered from the virus now, right? Uh, yes, I am yeah. <laughs> officially so. fully recovered, uh, plus like a, a month. Yeah, Paul is fully recovered now. Uh, we're still dealing with his Steelers sickness, but... Uh, we'll get over that eventually. <laughs> yeah, you may. <laughs> I'm, I'm content. He's content. Anyways, we're going to be continuing our series um, on doing biblical sketches or looking at different people in the Bible. What, how do we introduce this again? Uh, I think we were just saying important characters, key yeah, characters yeah, right now from the go. Old Testament. Yeah, right. yeah. Key characters. You can sketch if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, when you talk, I'm sketching. So, No, but, uh, yeah, we're looking at key biblical characters, but this one in the Old Testament, and then we'll do another series later on in the New Testament. Um, so we've done Elijah, and we've done Abraham. Abraham. And this is our third one. So, and this one is going to be David. So, um, we're excited about David. Um, someone that I know that most of you all have heard of, David. Um, but hopefully, we can share some insights and share some things about um, the stories of David that um, can help encourage and strengthen your faith and help you to know a little bit more about um, the person David that is found in Scripture. So. Um, we're going to look at three different passages. Um, so the first passage, we're going to kind of summarize it just to save on time. And then the next two passages we'll read, um, and then we'll discuss them. And we'll, Paul and I will discuss um, kind of the takeaways that we got from this verse. And also, I mean, we're also open to anyone who um, wants to read these passages and send us an email of what, what did you get from the passage. Um, that would be fantastic to hear um, from the listeners. So... Paul, do you want to give us kind of a summary of the first passage that we're going to be going over? Yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's do it. We'll we'll invite you to go ahead and churn to First Samuel sixteen, uh, churn or click on or you know whatever the proper <laughs> verb is nowadays when half the people are using uh, phones and apps. First uh, Samuel sixteen, we're we're going to cover the first thirteen verses together. Uh, but as you're you're getting set with that. The important piece, really, uh, to, before we dive into any of this, is to set the context for the history of the nation of Israel I- in general. And um, so a few things to know. First of all, this takes place, uh, David David appears um, a few centuries into the, the nation's history. So we've already had the, uh, the form, uh, formation of the nation through uh, the seed of Abraham, through the story of the Exodus, and ultimately the Israelites settling in uh, the promised land that, that God provided for them. Uh, and the question arose as to who was going to rule them. Uh, their prophets uh, called on a regular basis by God to, to lead over the people. And there's a period where uh, people called judges re- uh, were in leadership roles over the people alongside these prophets. But there came a time when the people started to, to get antsy and they started to look around at all these other nations, you know, all the other, other, other kids in school. And they said, we want to be like them, essentially. And the one thing that these other nations had that they didn't was a king. And so it was at this time that the Israelites started uh, complaining to God, saying, uh, we want you to, to give us a king. 
And the, the first thing that God did was try and, uh, through his prophets, explain to them the downfalls and, and the concerns that would arise if they were to have a king, this, uh, this one human individual that would have so much authority uh, over the people and uh, in wielding God's, uh, God's voice and such. Uh, but the people ignored God, as they so often did, and continued to beg for a king. So first we have uh, King Saul, and God uh, introduces King Saul to the people, and we'll dig into a little bit about him just because we need to, to understand him in, in contrast with King David, who was to come after uh, afterwards. And King Saul was anointed and brought into power through the ministry of the, the prophet Samuel. Uh, Samuel was, was God's prophet at the time. And uh, Saul was chosen by God, my, my belief is, knowing that he would fail, uh, knowing that uh, he just wasn't the right guy for the job, but um, to help the Israelites understand and, and experience firsthand the, the downfalls of having a king, first of all, but also uh, the important qualities that kings must have in order to uh, be in position in, in the nation of Israel. There was God's chosen people, and uh, Saul turned out not to have those qualities and ended up failing the people, failing God in, in numerous different ways. And uh, another, just a quick aside to, to place this in the, the larger saga of um, the story of Scripture and God paving the way, even back in First Samuel here, uh, for the coming of the Messiah. So it's important to, to understand and us to place this uh, within that framework. And, and uh, the Messiah was promised to come from the, the line of uh, David. And uh, David was prophesied before he became king uh, that he would be an important piece in this line, this family line. And so David and, and his descendants uh, play an important role in that too. David's father's name is uh, Jesse, and Jesse's referenced in Scripture as, as being uh, part of that family line. And then, of course, David and on down the way. So uh, to set up this, this story that we're not going to read for you because I've already spent enough time just setting it in its proper context, uh, Samuel is, is sent by God. Saul is still king. Samuel sent by God to anoint somebody new uh, that wouldn't wouldn't right there in the moment become king, but would be Saul's predecessor. Uh, is that the right word, predecessor? Yeah, somebody who comes yeah, after. Right. Yeah, successor. that doesn't sound right. Successor. Yeah, yeah. pre is before. So, uh, so God's ready to to get somebody else set up to take Saul's place. And uh, Samuel's going to be the one to, to do it. So Samuel is sent by God to Jesse and to his family to choose one of his sons to be king. And so the way the passage plays out here in, in 1 Samuel 16, Jesse brings uh, our understanding is all of his sons, lines them up in front of Samuel. Samuel goes down the line, and uh, the first uh, first son, the oldest son, is uh, clearly you know the best the best fit to be a leader. He's 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 large, he's strong, he's uh, he's handsome, he's everything that the people would want in a king. Uh, but God says, nope, not him. And so Samuel continues down the line, and each. each each son of Jesse uh, seems to be uh, great caliber uh, leadership material, and uh, God continues to say no until until Jesse runs out of sons and uh, says to to Samuel, you know, you need to find there's there's somebody missing here. Uh, we need to send Jesse to track down this this final son 
that uh, didn't didn't even get an invitation to the selection process because he was out in the fields taking care of the sheep. And that final son is uh, David. And so David is is fetched. Uh, Samuel says, "We're going to wait here. Nobody move until David gets here because this might be the guy." And it turns out David is uh, the youngest son is uh, chosen to be anointed king. So this goes against all uh, cultural norms of the time. The oldest child was supposed to be uh, the one with the, the uh, the greatest value or, or the one that was seen as uh, the, the most likely to succeed and and take uh, authority over their younger siblings. Uh, the, David was not mentioned as being especially uh, strong or mighty. He was, uh, I think, referred to as ruddy uh, and handsome, so he had that going for him. But uh, just compared to his brothers, did not seem to be um, the, the best king material Nonetheless, God chose him, and uh, it says in this passage he chose him because he was a man after God's own heart. And uh, that'll come up later. Uh, but at the time, he was probably a little more than a boy, so maybe we should say a boy after God's own heart. But the heart part is the most important part. He's chosen, he's anointed, and he, uh, down the road, would become king of Israel. So uh, there's our, our context, there's our summary, and uh, Stephen has done some, some incredible research on this passage and has some, some keen insights to bring to us. So Stephen, take us away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, looking at this passage, um, both Paul and I have um, just some insights to take away from it. Um, as Paul was summarizing it, has um, that Samuel came to actually came to Bethlehem, which is also the birthplace of Jesus, who is the King of Kings. Just dropping that hint there, if anyone. Do you get it? I get it. I, get it. Yeah. I will laugh on behalf of the audience, Stephen, just for All you. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Samuel's going to see this selection process, and Jesse's bringing all his sons. The first son that Samuel sees, Samuel's like, well, that looks like that's going to be the king. And and then the Lord says, no, that's that's not it. And what, what I find fascinating about this portion of the passage right here. Um, is that throughout the Bible there's a theme of trusting the Lord over what you see. Um, so Abraham had to trust God even though he saw that Sarah and himself were too old to have kids. Moses had to trust God even when he saw the might of Egypt um, and that God told them to let the people go. Moses also had to trust God when he saw the barrier of the Red Sea um, and that God said he was going to save the people. Um, even though he couldn't see how, how we're going to get past the Red Sea. Paul sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we live by faith and not by sight. You see, Samuel in this moment has, has to live by faith and not by sight when deciding who is the next king, who the next king would be. Saul, the first king of Israel, the one being replaced, looked like a king but didn't have the heart of a king. Samuel would have acted on, if Samuel would have acted on sight, alone he would have never he would have chosen the wrong person for the job he wouldn't have, he would have chosen david's older brother and not david um Samuel had to have faith that god would choose the right person for the position for the position even if they didn't look the position now it's not now it doesn't necessarily say that david is ugly actually david is it says he was healthy and had a fine appearance and he was handsome um, kind of how Paul was when he was a boy until he got older um, and all that wore away. 
Um, Thank but, you, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Those early years were great, though. Right, right. Were, yeah. He has a face a mother can love, and and Quinn. So, um, but the point the point remains that the Lord looks at the heart of the individual. Um, to truly know them, you have to look at the heart, not simply at their appearance. When the Bible describes Jesus' appearance in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, it said, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Which always makes me think of those European paintings of a regal, prestigious, royal, white Jesus. And we have this image that he must look like that, right? And then we have to ask ourselves, would we follow Jesus who didn't look like that, who didn't look like the paintings that we see on the walls? What if he had missing teeth? What if he had an unkept beard? What if he had a lazy eye? Would we still follow Jesus even though he didn't look, quote unquote, the part? Um, so I think, um, so the Bible has a lot to say about trusting, not with your only with your eyes, but trusting um, with faith in God, trusting that the Lord knows what's best, even when you don't see it, or even what you do see doesn't look like it could be right. So I think that has a huge role to play in um, in this portion or this part of David's life. Yeah, and how contrary to uh, our human instincts, which is so often to evaluate people based on appearance, and, right. and subconsciously we've already categorized people uh, the second we, we meet them. And there's a, a purpose for that. It can be a healthy thing. It's important that we, we know how to observe and, and evaluate people and understand them, learn things about them by watching them. But there's a difference between doing that in, in a healthy sense and, and perhaps casting judgment on somebody or allowing our first impression of them to change how we treat them or even how we think about them. Uh, it's so important that we embrace this notion that God presents. It's it's about the heart and nothing right. else. Nothing else right. matters except for the, the the condition of somebody's heart. And uh, man, that's that's tough. That is really tough. And as you were saying, as Stephen, you know, I'm trying to picture Jesus with with all of those um, with all of those physical qualities that I would never have pictured. Right. And, and I I come to realize how much that image of Jesus is ingrained in me that he right. he has to look like the the uh, the picture hanging on the the wall of the church, and, right. um, but you know, are we um, not just in in Jesus or in leaders, but people around us? Are we are we willing to look past and and uh, really try to get to know them on a heart level? Uh, right. Is the the overriding question? Right. Another uh, another thought from this passage that uh, jumped out at me is a little a little different, um, a little uh, kind of off the beaten path, and that is looking at it from the perspective of, of Jesse. Uh, so so Jesse here has, I think, uh, seven sons, was it? And David was the seventh, I believe. I believe so. Uh, so he, he's got seven sons, and, and six of them are invited to the party. The seventh is not. And uh, the... The reason David was not invited, it made it, it made perfect sense because uh, cultural norms uh, were that the youngest son would never get this this uh, sort of selection. He would never be uh, have a shot in the dark at, at being appointed king, um, and uh, he would always be serving his older siblings. 
and Jesse was just following that. He was abiding by that, probably needed somebody in the field uh, to watch the, the sheep while all of this was going on, so why not David? But uh, it just makes me uh, think as parents um, out there, you know, are we putting our children in position to encounter God in their lives, and especially in those important moments where they, uh, their lives and, and their faith can be uh, turned upside down and, and uh, made new? And I, I don't expect that uh, in the lives of our children it's going to play out like David did. Like, I don't think, our, you know, if I sign my, my daughter up for Science Olympiad and she misses a, a crossroads meeting, you know, where Stephen gives an incredible speech and, and uh, all the kids' lives are transformed that somehow, you know, if my kid misses yep. one uh, crossroads meeting, Stephen might feel otherwise. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, uh, the point being... Uh, for David, it was one moment that he had to be at, and Dad didn't invite him. For our kids, I think it's, I think it's a formative period in their lives. It's it's this ongoing uh, concept. Are we putting them in position? So, are we prioritizing uh, their their faith over other things? And our kids are going to be involved in other stuff, just like the cultural norm was for David to be watching the sheep while his brothers were uh, getting appointed king. Our kids are going to be doing stuff that. Uh, our society says they should be too. We're going to sign them up to to uh, to do activities that are outside the church. We're going to make sure they get a good education, uh, socialization, all these things. Um, but their faith has to be of the utmost importance. So we have to be willing to prioritize that over some of these other things and make sure that on a regular basis we are leading them, we're putting them in position for other people like uh, Stephen here to lead them um, into a, an active and uh, healthy and mature faith in God. And uh, I think that's so important. Um, and Stephen, now that I've, I've puffed you up and made you feel on top of the world, uh, you, got, you got something else for us, I believe, on this passage. Uh, yeah, just real quickly, um, just Real quickly, the last point I want to make is that nothing or no one is insignificant to God. So we've kind of already touched on this, but normally during this time, I think Paul mentioned this earlier, normally the oldest would receive most of the family inheritance. So this is probably why um, the oldest was seen by Samuel as the one who would be king, because usually it's the oldest that um, carries on the family name, the traditions, is almost like a hair, the the one next to the throne, right, um, is the oldest. But Samuel's wrong, and also Samuel's dad, as um, Paul mentioned, Samuel's dad was also wrong. Um, so they went through all of his sons, but he, Samuel's dad didn't even mention David until Samuel asked if he had more sons, which I got the number. Um, he had seven sons passed before Samuel, and then David was the eighth son. Oh. So. Yeah. That's a always off by a lot of right. That's that's a lot of sons. A lot of sons. Yeah. A lot of kids, but lots. A lot of sons. to keep track of. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, of course, David, being the youngest, wasn't even wasn't seen as important as his older brothers. Um, watching the sheep wasn't a particularly glamorous job. Being a shepherd was hard work. Um, being alone, fighting off deadly animals, tending to dirty sheep which sheep are really not smart animals <laughs> um, but God saw David as the next king most importantly David had the heart um, to be king um, it mattered to God that David was it didn't matter to God that David was the youngest you must remember God uses all people um, and we know from this story that David started out um, in these humble beginnings here as a shepherd excuse me here as a shepherd um, but God 
still continued to use him. So that's the last point I had on this one. Yeah, and, and just real quick, the, the other thing that jumps out at me, I'm trying to put myself in David's shoes. So I'm just throwing out a, an age here. Say he's 12 years old when he gets anointed king. Um, and once again, we don't know the exact timeline, but it, it is uh, multiple years until anything comes of this. So here's David. Uh, he's, he's pulled out in front of his, his brothers and his father. He's given this huge honor. This uh, great prophet has come and anointed him. He's going to be the next king of Israel. Um, and then what happens? Well, you know, Samuel leaves and, and Jesse says, all right, David, go back out and take care of the sheep again, you know. And that night, his, his brothers probably keep picking on him, and and uh, he wakes up the next day, and it happens all over again. And, and nothing in David's life changes until maybe even you know ten years or more later, uh, when all of this this plays out, and Saul is uh, Saul is dispensed with, and and David steps into his place. But you know, it makes me think of of us so often. Um, we we know uh, not all not so often all the time. I, I I want us to know. We need to know that God has an incredible plan for our lives. And uh, sometimes we feel like it's not being lived out. Like whatever the big thing that God has planned for us is has not arrived. We keep asking for it, waiting for it. We're ready for it, or maybe we're afraid for it to show up, but it just doesn't show. And for David, that waiting period, I, I want us to see that as as just as important as the time in which he was finally uh, brought into the spotlight and and, uh, and given the throne. Because that waiting period was so important for God to, to nurture his growth and his development and, and continue to, to uh, bolster his faith. So I think for us, you know, if, if you're waiting for, uh, there's a, a Colin Hay song called, I'm waiting for my next life or my new life to begin. Yeah, I think he wrote it about David. If you're sitting around waiting for your new life to begin, like what has God got for me? Uh, he's got for you right now. Right now is, is your time. So wherever you're at, however uh, you're involved in the world, do it to the best of your ability and don't wait for something big to come. But be ready. And if you live like that, you will be ready uh, for that when that time comes to step into whatever God has in store for you, uh, just as David did. And now, uh, Stephen, you got the, the next passage for us. You're going to read First uh, Samuel 24-something. Right, 24-something. <laughs> yeah, so our next passage um, is First Samuel 24, verses 1 through 15. So if you have a Bible with you, it would be great for you to go turn to that. First Samuel 24, verses 1 through 15. Um, and just kind of a heads up, I'm reading from the NIV version, but you can read from whatever translation you want. But just to give you an idea of where I'm reading, or what I'm reading. So 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 15. Um, so just to give a tiny bit of context, Saul um, and David, David eventually ends up, so we all know the story of David and Goliath, and David ends up uh, beating Goliath, and, but then David also ends up serving in Saul's court. Um, but while that is going on, David grows in success and fame and um, all this kind of accumulates and Saul gets really mad and jealous and envious and actually to the point of even hating David that he tries to kill him so David is on the run right now from Saul from Saul who is um, has this real bad uh, animosity towards David so this is kind of where we're at um, Saul chasing David into the wilderness. So, 24. 
After Saul returned from pursuing the, the Philistines, he was told David was in the desert of Engilead. So Saul took 3,000 young, able men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was um, conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I shall do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when your men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Um, Someone urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. So my father, look at this, a piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hands to um, indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord's revenge avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from elders, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing a dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and declare between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. So, you know, first uh, lesson is if you need to relieve yourself, you know, make sure you flip on the lights in the cave first or, yeah, shine your flashlight around. Uh, so I'll learn that the hard way. That last line, though, you know, uh, as David says, uh, may he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. To me, the, the prevailing theme in this passage and the, and the biggest takeaway is this notion that we need to allow for God's vindication um, in situations like this. And, and when I say like this, I don't mean next time somebody's hunting you and <laughs> you encounter them in a cave. Uh, but anytime you're in conflict with, a, with another person, uh, you have to find a way to stay strong and, and do what's right in every circumstance. Uh, so, you know, for myself, I'm about as as anti-drama as they come. Uh, I try to, try to avoid conflicts, uh, and if they do arise, I try to resolve them as quickly as possible, face-to-face, -face, um, just uh, trying to do things uh, as, as simply and, and straightforward as possible. Uh, but, you know, for all of us, even if that's our, our uh, strategy in life, we're all going to find ourselves in the middle of something uh, at some point, 
even if uh, it's not our own doing. And when those situations uh, happen upon me, my uh, my verse that I always lean lean upon uh, verses is Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. It says, "If your enemy." is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Uh, the secular, shorter version, perhaps, would be uh, kill them with kindness. Right? <laughs> so this is something I try to adhere to, although it's not always especially easy. But uh, I think it's important for two reasons. One, uh, by doing this, we, we present the best witness. Uh, to, to love in all circumstances means uh, that we need to love people who maybe mistreat us or consider us as their enemies. Uh, we need to love them nonetheless. Uh, not only does it hopefully lead to a de-escalation in, in the situation, but it also uh, communicates God's love to them in, in the most powerful uh, in in keen way, there's there's no better witness, friends, than uh, showing somebody love and, and mercy who is treating you with uh, anger and, and bitterness and, and hatred, and it's a powerful thing. The civil rights movement really was founded. Uh, the, the greatest success that was seen within it was founded on that that notion. Um, and if you look back, I, I, this is a, probably a topic for a different day, but even the, the passages in Scripture where, uh, where people are told to or were told that slaves are to obey their masters, um, it's not because you know, it's in any way uplifting slavery as, as an okay thing, but uh, the notion is by um, obeying or continuing to respect and treat your master with love, you have the, the opportunity to be the greatest witness in that uh, relationship. And so the, the witness uh, to people, no matter who they are, the witness of God's love at, at work in you and in that relationship is more important um, than you know the, the justice of the relationship itself. And I think God is calling us to that. Uh, David uh, exemplifies that beautifully here. Uh, he he not only presents the best witness, but he maintains his integrity. There's there's nothing more important for David, for a budding leader, for anybody really, uh, than maintaining your integrity. People will not follow a leader uh, that has no integrity, and uh, you know everybody has varying degrees. We're not none of us are perfect, um, but we we need to value that above virtually any other quality uh, that we pursue in life. And, uh, and trust that God will take care of us in, in the long term. And we're heaping burning coals. I don't know if that's uh, supposed to make it seem more attractive to, to live this way or, or if that should be a bad thing. But uh, we, we are impacting the people in, we're in relationship with uh, by forcing them to come face to face with their own anger and resentment. When we don't reciprocate, it makes them uh, take a look inside and, and see themselves uh, and where they're at for, for what it really is. Stephen, what you got? Yeah, so mine is going to be pretty similar to what Paul had just shared. Um, so this is a famous passage that displays true mercy and grace. Um, David could have easily killed Saul and became king himself. Uh, he could have taken Saul's life at that moment, but decided not to, knowing Saul is anointed by God. David left it in the hands of God as to decide when he would become king. Um, even under the pressure of his peers, David remains faithful to God and, um, and kind to his enemies. Right here, David is exemplifying the words of Jesus when he says we ought to love our enemies. And David's also exemplifying what Paul has said, um, what we are to do to our enemies as, as 
Paul mentioned. Paul Paul said it and Paul mentioned it. <laughs> Paul the Apostle wrote. And then we have Paul of Paul of Rocky River. Yeah, I was curious <laughs> to see what title you were gonna apply. I'll take that. It's better than what I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Paul said he as Paul said, he burning coals on your heads. Um, and to not be overcome to not be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. So also David's kindness and character, and it caused, and I didn't even read, we didn't read this passage, but when you look further down in verse 16, it said Saul wept aloud when he saw that David spared his life. Um, and so we see uh, the contrast between um, Saul's lack of heart and Saul's anger and David's mercy and, and kindness and compassion and empathy towards Saul. Um, you can perhaps say this is the highest moment of David's character. David in this moment is sticking to the moral high ground when he has all the reason in the world to stoop to Saul's level of lack of character, um, but he decides not to. So um, that this is a passage really of, of integrity and character, um, even in the midst of um, an event that you could David had the easy advantage over. So... Um, and also this talks a little bit about how to treat your enemies. Um, again, it goes along with heaping burning coals on someone's head, which which is to say that um, when you treat kindness, when when someone is, is not kind to you, but you return kindness to them, they have this sense of like, why are you doing this to me? How can you be this way? And, and, and it, and it it's, is a, um, I think just like Saul started crying, it reveals to that person their own, um, anger and strife and it's like they can see the contrast between your kindness and mercy and grace and their lack of that it kickstarts um, their conscience in right a sense. yeah, yeah right, like, right. all of a sudden like exactly. wow what am i doing right it yeah. or, i like that it kickstarts their conscience so um, I've done that to Paul a few times. He started his conscious up and going again. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really good. So, uh, of course, this doesn't mean that when, when it's as Christians, we, we are to exemplify Christ loving our enemies. It doesn't mean that we let someone to abuse us, but it does mean that we don't um, treat evil with more evil, that we don't have this constant cycle of hurt. And actually, I, I just thought of this, that David has a perfect balance of so he, he flees from Saul, like he's fleeing for his life, but at the same time, he's not seeking to kill Saul in return. So it's just interesting that David did not sit in the situation where he was, Saul was throwing spears at him. So David's like, well, I'm going to leave. I'm going to run for my life. But when he has the opportunity to get back at Saul, he doesn't take it. Hmm. So I think that's just a really good example, a really good illustration of leaving the place where you're being hurt but at the same time, not taking vengeance on that person who may be hurting you. So, um, but yeah, those are kind of the two takeaways that I've gotten from that passage. Yeah, that, that last last part's very important. So I'm glad you you pointed that out. And uh, even in this story, David doesn't just sit there all passive and, and let Saul walk away. He still, I think the phrase I always come back to, he still speaks the truth in love. Right. Like he's yeah, he's demonstrated cool. love and, and mercy to Saul, uh, right. but he's still going to say his piece because um, he needs to hold Saul, Saul accountable to some degree too. Right. Exactly. Uh, somebody needs to. Right. And so he steps out and, and says what he needs to say to Saul. Right. Um, and I think the only thing I'll add to that is, is um, in order to live 
live the way that David lived and make decisions uh, in this moment, really for David, uh, passing up on, on killing Saul, it was a kill or be killed moment. Because right. if by right. choosing not to, sure. he basically, you know, for all uh, for all reasonable purposes, was expecting. Uh, he was signing his own death sentence. There was right. never going to be another opportunity like this. Right. And when the king of Israel and his entire army is chasing you down, your chances are right. not good. So how can David pass up this opportunity? Um, because he does see the right thing to do is to grant Saul mercy. How can he accomplish that? He can do it because he trusts uh, the big picture to God. Not right. only does he allow God's uh, vindication in the end to, to to play out, but he trusts that God is going to see him through this situation and uh, still fulfill the promise that he made to David right. that he would uh, he would his family line would continue on to the Messiah and that he would one day be on the throne of Israel. Um, and it takes a great deal of trust for David in this moment, yep. um, but he clearly had that something he established in his early years in, in serving as a shepherd and and his relationship with God that was building all these years. And for some of us, like uh, for David, his vindication or, or God's promises were going to be fulfilled in this life. For some of us, you know, the end is is not even as pretty. The end of the story for a lot of people in, in Scripture. And throughout history, have, uh, God has not come in and rescued them, or God has not set things right in their lifetime. So they have to even trust greater than David did um, that God's vindication and God's promises will be fulfilled in their eternal uh, lifetime. And they didn't even get to see it play out before their life was taken from them in this world. So this right. notion of trusting the big picture to God is the only way that in any given circumstance we can make a decision that's based on doing the right thing, yep. not doing the easy thing or the safe thing yep. or the thing that our emotions might be driving us to do. We can make a decision, friends. We can do it uh, if we have enough faith in God in any moment to base our decision on what's right, not on the other person, not on what they may be forcing us to do because that's baloney. We make our own decisions, and we can do it if we trust God uh, with the big picture. Right. And uh, final passage as we round the corner here to number three, Psalm 51. Uh, you'll recognize this. I, I think we, um, we share this on Ash Wednesday on occasion because of the nature of it. Uh, this is in response to, just to quickly set it up, uh, David, the, the, the story of David and Bathsheba, where uh, David now is king. Um, he, is, uh, he is taken over by his own lust one night when he sees a, a woman uh, bathing on her rooftop. Uh, glad they don't do that anymore because I'd be in trouble too. But, uh, but he's taken over by his own lust and he makes some really horrible decisions to, uh, to seek her out. Um, they end up uh, having sex and they have a baby and, and uh, he finds out that the, he, well, he knew that this woman was married and he makes some decisions and, and puts some uh, uh, things into motion to have her husband killed off, her husband who's out fighting in a battle to protect his kingdom is, is killed off. And so some really lousy things that David does, so proving from the beginning, you know, we've been uh, putting David up on a pedestal, you know, uh, because he was a man after God's own heart. Well, even a man after God's own heart has uh, some bad days, and for David, they were really bad days. But this is a, a, a psalm that uh, speaks to his conversation, his prayer to God after all of this plays out. And uh, beautiful passage, I'll, I'll read it for us. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you, then bulls will be offered on your altar. So yeah, that's a great passage, and as we're gonna, our last passage, we're gonna be wrapping up soon. Um, I'm gonna share two quick um, takeaways from this passage that I, from reading it. Um, so this is one of my favorite psalms as well, written after one of the most tragic moments in um, in scripture, uh, after David's affair with Bathsheba and also the murder of her husband. Such a sad moment for David, a man of high character throughout his life, and then this moment of weakness, and he falls into um, this lust and resulting murder. Um, throughout the Bible, this is probably one of the lowest moments of any of the quote-unquote biblical heroes of Scripture. Um, the fact that God has f uh, had forgiven um, David is a testament, testimony to God's amazing grace and mercy um, that David most assuredly did not deserve. The reality, too, is that David needed Nathan the prophet to reveal his guilt and open his eyes to what he truly had done. Um, not only what he had done to Bathsheba and her, her husband and their family, but also what he had did to God. Um, as, this tragic, as tragic as it may be, David's psalm or this prayer is a psalm that applies to us all, even though we may not have committed the same sins. Um, we are all like David in the sense that we are all sinners des in a desperate need of a Savior. We, we have all committed sins. We are all guilty before the Lord. Um, and that's most clearly seen on the cross as Christ um, dies on the cross for our sins. And he, he calls out for our forgiveness. And as he says, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Um, that, that was a call for all of us and that, that we all need the forgiveness of the Lord. And the last thing I want to point out is that Something interesting that David says at the end of the psalm is that perhaps gets overlooked because we live in a different time. David says something about sacrifices that is really important to point out. He says that you delight, 
You do not delight in sacrifices, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. This is interesting because there are places where God does seek um, the sacrificial system, that God sought the sacrificial system. But what is key about the sacrificial system is what David says next. He says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, um, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. When it comes to sacrifices, God wanted the symbol of the sacrifice to match the position and the posture of one's heart. God didn't want um, God didn't want people to be going through the motions of the sacrificial system with someone with an unchanged heart, and they only participated in the sacrifice out of obligation and tradition with no remorse for sin at all. David was doing his best to avoid that situation, making sure that his sacrifice was a sacrifice of himself, of his spirit and his heart, literally throwing himself down as the one who should be punished for what he had done, showing true repentance. In the end, David was still speaking of the importance um, of the sacrificial system, but it's defined as the sacrifice of the righteous, meaning those who had a righteous posture of heart, those are the sacrifices that God delighted in. The truth remains for us today. God desires um, that we don't just go through the motions of Christianity with a heart, um, with no heart or meaning to what we do, that all we do is just out of tradition, obligation. But God wants from us is that a heart that truly loves Jesus, that he wants us to act out of a love um, for him, not just out of pure obedience and tradition with no heart um in in that desire so that what paul or what sorry what david speaks of the sacrificial system i think remains the truth for us today so those are the two points that i pulled out for that passage though paul or yeah the uh so the sacred david or uh david what's your name again steven steven yes yeah, right. david paul whoever you are <laughs> Uh, be, before we started recording, we were talking about this uh, notion of God looking down on this sacrificial system at different points in his nation's history and looking down at it with disgust. Like it was it was just because he could see the people's hearts was really what was shown to right. him more than anything. And, and they were just going through the motions. They were doing what God, they were following the rituals, doing what God told them to do, but there was no love in it. There was no true faith. There was, their hearts weren't in it. And uh, we, we thought a, a decent uh, parallel to this, although totally different in nature, was was the Grinch uh, looking down on the town of Whoville in the days leading up to, to Christmas and, and not being able to, to see uh, the, the genuine uh, joy and love. Of course, in Whoville, it, it existed, and in the sacrificial system for many years and portions of their history, it did not. Uh, but that same sense of looking down in, in disgust on the, the people of Whoville, this guy was looking down on his, his people, uh, just really frustrated, disgusted by it. Um, the, the main thing that, that jumps out at me, Psalm 51, uh, to me, it is uh, probably the most uh, direct and complete uh, picture of what repentance uh, is right. supposed to look like in, in all of Scripture. And I, I won't go through a match-up verse for, for concept, but some of these things that show up in this passage that that really uh, are parts of the whole uh, notion of, of repentance. One is is David uh, makes a very simple and direct confession. I know my sin, he says. Yeah. Uh, he's, he makes it clear he's seeking God out for cleansing, for forgiveness. The, the hyssop branch is uh, referenced in here, and I, I looked it up uh, just out of curiosity. And, and when David says, 
Um, or what exactly does David say? He says, uh, <clears throat> or is it, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop was the, the branch of the, the tree that the Israelites used on the, the Passover um, to spread blood on their doorposts. So they were told to use a hyssop branch. And so David is referring to the cleansing of, of God's mercy, uh, that God's wrath would pass over him. So he, he knows he needs to turn to God for mercy and that the hyssop branch is a symbol of that. Um, next, he, he declares a desire to be restored. Uh, this is an important part of repentance, too. He wants to be restored to the previous relationship that he had with God. And part of that is reclaiming the spirit of joy that he had known prior to all of his uh, mess-ups, uh, the spirit of joy that he had known in his relationship with God. He acknowledges uh, later on in the psalm that Forgiveness is, is not something that he can earn. It's not something he can uh, conduct the right experiment or go through the right motions and accomplish it. It can only be obtained as a free gift from God um, that he receives through genuine, heartfelt humility and, and repentance. That's the only way this forgiveness is, is transferred to him. And then finally, uh, in several places, it, it uh, illustrates what for David will be a churning around, which is what repentance really means, a, a churning around and a complete change in behavior. Right. David is going to uh, change who he is, how he leads, and he's going to apply himself even more than ever before uh, to helping the people uh, amongst him or around him and, and the people who follow him, uh, those other transgressors, the word I couldn't pronounce when I was reading the passage, <laughs> he's going to help them use his experience uh, to, to help them a return to God or have a healthier relationship with God and, and the nation as a whole he's going to bring to a greater obedience uh, to God and commitment to God and illustrated in the last couple of verses by helping them reach a point where their sacrifices are once again uh, beautiful to God and, and received by God and embraced by God instead of uh, loathed by God and, and making him disgusted uh, he's going to turn the nation around and fortify their faith which uh, to me is is the take home on that, not just as that illustration of repentance that we all should follow, but also the, on the other side of our breakdowns, of our disasters, of our huge gaffes like David committed um, during his time of leadership. It's not the end of the world. Uh, we can repent. And uh, what we see in David is that God is going to use his uh, his mess ups and specifically to connect with other people that maybe uh, were in similar situations, which is often what God does for us. He, he uses our blemishes from the past uh, to, to put us in position to serve and, and connect with people who are going through some of the same things. And so God uh, not only will grant you forgiveness, especially if you take in these principles of repentance uh, along the way, uh, you could have full restoration and forgiveness, but God will also take your, your brokenness and turn it into something beautiful that would never have been accomplished before if you turn it over to him and let him put you in position to, to serve and, and bless others uh, with all that you have been through along the way. So uh, that's, that's a wrap. Three, three, wow, really key passages. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, Stephen, not so much. Or did you see <laughs> You learned something along the oh, way? Oh, yeah. Learned a lot. It was really good. I okay. always love studying David. Yeah. Yeah, what a what a uh, incredible uh, dynamic character, highs and lows, and and extremes uh, on both ends. Yep. Uh, so thanks for thanks for tuning in with us. 
and uh, we're going to come back to you next week and we're, we're uh, going to leave it open because we got a couple of things on the burner we might move to the front not sure which direction we'll go but it'll be a, a blast uh, regardless in the meantime stay warm out there it's some cold temperatures uh, stay connected know that uh, there's there's some uh, changes coming in, in worship offerings here at the church so stay tuned to uh, the website stay tuned to your email um, we think all good developments and and just to be able to create more options uh, for folks to be able to uh, worship with us and, and be with us in person uh, so we're excited about some of these developments uh, details coming Sunday and and uh, through uh, your, your email and website and I think uh, I think that's a wrap for today um, bless you all and, and love you all and uh, thanks for being on the journey with us take care friends bye